Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. Today's edition, Human Events Daily. Stories today. First, Haitian migrants. Were they coming from Haiti or were they coming from Chile to Del Rio? We'll get into it. Next, new revelations. Hunter Biden asked for $2 million to unfreeze Libya's assets while his father Joe was vice president. Third, the former Planned Parenthood president is now on CNN saying some different things than she was saying last year. We'll get into it about COVID. Finally, military courts could start ordering red flag gun confiscations under the new bill that was just signed. All this and more ahead, Human Events Daily. So we've seen the situation on the border at Del Rio, Texas. The Haitians under the bridge, thousands and thousands kept in squalid conditions. Are they leaving? Are they staying? Are they going into the United States? What exactly is going on? Senator Josh Hawley talked about this in the Senate questioning DHS Secretary Mayorkas. Take a listen. Well, tens of thousands of people living in conditions that are startling, startling, brought here because of your policies. Let me give you an example. The Washington Post reported on Sunday that one Haitian woman said that she and her family decided to travel from Chile, where she was residing, to Del Rio because they heard, and I quote, President Biden was letting people in. And of course, you've offered this temporary protected status to Haitians illegally residing in the United States starting in May. Then you halted deportation flights earlier this summer. Don't you think that you bear responsibility for this latest crisis? Now, another report is coming our way out of Todd Benzman for the Center for Immigration Studies. And the headline is this, thousands of Haitian migrants who flocked to Del Rio were already working and living comfortably as refugees in Chile and only set off for the U.S. after Biden scrapped the Trump-era deportation policy. What is going on? Well, Chile is the wealthiest country in Latin America, and the Haitians have been living there in modest comfort in Santiago as well as in Sao Paulo for the past five or six years. Then, under the new Biden policy, they traveled up from South America through Colombia, Panama, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Honduras, and Guatemala before landing in a camp across the Mexican border in Tapachula. So let's go, folks, to a map break. Here's Chile, here's Santiago, here's Del Rio, and here's Haiti. Understand how vast of a distance this is. When Biden got in, the word went out, and they decided, we're coming now. That was the decision point. That's according to Todd Benzman. Daily Mail has the article. Joe Biden opened the order, the border, so we decided that we could upgrade our lifestyle, the migrants told him. They then flocked to the entry port at the Del Rio Bridge. So does everybody get what's going on here? We said this from the start. I said this from the start here on HE Daily. This is moral hazard. You are setting up the incentives to incentivize people making this trek, right? We still don't have information and we're going to get it because we're not going to stop investigating this. How exactly it was that they were able to pay for this trip? Were there smugglers involved in this? Were organizations coming down and setting this off? They were not fleeing, right? I understand, they were not fleeing conditions that were poor. They wanted to upgrade their lifestyle. The entire media narrative around this 
has been false. You need like a, I, I want to get like a fake news alarm or something or like a, you know, or a narrative, narrative debunked kind of alarm because that's what's going on here, right? We've now debunked an entire media narrative that was starting to set U.S. policy because apparently reporters on Twitter don't know the difference between a whip and reins for a horse in the Border Patrol. This White House has no idea what they're doing. Jen Psaki and the people running this thing, they are West Wing LARPers. And I mean the TV show. I'm not talking about the actual West Wing, right? They watch TV and they think that's what they need to do. There's nothing special. There's nothing unique. There's no talent. There's no meritocracy there. It's whoever's the shrillest, the loudest, the angriest. They get to be the ones in charge. And then Joe Biden, folks, you can see him for himself. They have no clue the repercussions and consequences of their actions, both economically and morally. Because you're setting up a situation now where people could get hurt, where people could face infection from the disease that's going around, the pandemic, and you're also letting people into the country that you have no idea who they are, you have no idea what's going on. We just saw that story yesterday with the Afghan migrants who came in and started sexually abusing children. Understand, understand the situation, sir. You cannot have open borders and have a country. It's really as simple as that. And I'm sorry, folks, because this is gonna be a Hard News Friday. It is Hard News Friday here on HE Daily, so stay tuned because I got a lot more coming up next. Now, we've been talking a lot about Afghanistan lately. It's been in the news, it's being discussed, but really the larger story of what we're talking about is America's neoconservative, neoliberal foreign policy, which is now starting to be changed. This idea of forever wars, endless wars, where we're gonna go around, conduct regime change in countries in the Middle East and Central Asia that don't follow our guidelines, that aren't playing ball with Washington, D.C., and that we are going to go and topple their governments and replace them with something that is more pro-U.S., right? That's the basic idea behind regime change. This was tried in Syria, keep in mind, where they were arming the moderate rebels through Operation Timber Sycamore. This was, of course, tried in Afghanistan for 20 years and failed. So we spent 20 years, we spent all that money to take the Taliban out of power and replace them with the Taliban, right? This was also tried, by the way, and everybody forgets this one. 2011, Obama and Hillary invaded and toppled the government of where? Libya, right? That took place during the Arab Spring. Now, the one incident that, of course, everybody does remember from this, but it's interesting how that incident is almost kept in isolation. It's like siloed away from the broader discussion of what actually was going on in the invasion of Libya was the incident of Benghazi. And of course, everybody remembers Hillary's famous quote. They were doing what they were doing. No, 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 no. I, still, I, I, still, again, I'm, again, we no. were misled that there was supposedly protests and then something sprang out of that and assault sprang out of that. And that was easily ascertained I, that that was not the fact. But, but, and the American know, people could have known that within days, and, and they, they didn't know that. With all due respect, the fact is we had four dead Americans. Was it I because understand. of a protest, or was it because of guys out for a walk one night who decided they'd go kill some Americans? What difference at this point does it make? It is our job to figure out what happened and do everything we can to prevent it from ever happening again. So here's where the connection comes in. Three years after Benghazi, 
Remember, we've been talking before about Hunter Biden and his business dealings with foreign countries and foreign oligarchs, right? This whole story about Hunter Biden's hard drive, his laptop, which by the way, I have a copy of, I still have a copy of. I offered it to Jake Tapper, I offered it to the New York Times, I offered it to the Washington Post. I said, come on down here to Washington DC, come to Capitol Hill, I will give you a copy. We can look at it together, buddy, me and you, side by side, left seat, right seat. Let's take a look and you tell me whether it's real or not. But the question wasn't always about the story behind the story, the provenance, how did you get the laptop? How did you get the hard drive, right? That was all explained, right? We, we know about the store in Delaware and he left it, et cetera, et cetera. The real story was the way that Hunter Biden was working with foreign oligarchs and foreign assets and foreign interests to cash in on his name and to influence his father, both while he was a senator and then later as vice president. Here's the story that just came out, Daily Mail headline. Hunter Biden asked for $2 million plus success fees to help unfreeze Libyan assets emails reveal. A pair of emails from business associates revealed that he offered to help them unfreeze this with success fees. The email exchanges were between mid-level Democratic donors, Sam Juhari and Sheikh Mohammed al-Rabani, who in 2015 were working on behalf of the new Libyan government, working to free up to $30 billion in state foreign assets that had been frozen by the Obama administration under the deposed Muammar Gaddafi. And what's interesting is you actually scroll down through the emails, it says, listen, listen to this, this is very key. Since Hunter travels with his dad, he is connected everywhere and Europe and Asia where Muammar Gaddafi and Libya had money frozen. Hunter also has high level access in China and he can help there. He wants two per year retainer plus, plus, plus success fees. That means two million. His negatives, they continue, or that he is an alcoholic drug addict kicked out of the U.S. Army for cocaine chasing low-class hookers, constantly needs money, liquidity problems, and many more headaches. Fact check, it was actually the U.S. Navy, not the U.S. Army. This was the perception of Hunter Biden and the Biden family under the Obama administration. It was pay to play, right? You hire Hunter Biden, the same way that we saw that he was hired by this Ukrainian firm, Burisma, and you get access, you get deals, you get leverage. But I want people to understand something. This story isn't about Hunter Biden. And I know it's about Hunter Biden, but I'm making a point here. This is about how Washington DC works on the back end. Now it's not usually this direct, right? It's not usually this direct as someone's son being the one who's getting paid, but that's how this town operates. And if you think that Washington DC is that much better, is that less corrupt, is that less spotless, and is completely impeccable, folks, you got another thing coming. This town operates off of money, power, influence, and trading favors, the same way political operations have been run throughout history. Every regime, once you stop believing in the rule of law, your constitution, your moral code, it delves into this. Stay tuned, more up ahead. Human Events Daily continues. So it's time now for a new segment here on Human Events Daily called Dropping the 
receipts. Might change it. I don't know. Tell me what you think. Leave a comment. By the way, if you're following this on Apple Podcasts or YouTube, you're watching the video or Rumble, of course, we love Rumble, Spotify, etc. Leave us a comment. Leave us a rating. Let us know how we're doing and make sure to share this out with your normie friends because this, folks, nobody else is doing this. Listen to this. All right. So here's Dr. Lena Wen. She is a former Planned Parenthood president. Now CNN has her on all the time as a medical analyst, but they never talk about the fact that she's the former president of Planned Parenthood. Isn't that kind of interesting? Anyway, here she is just yesterday talking about masks on children in schools. Take a listen. I agree that masks are a very powerful layer of protection, but it's one layer. And if we have so many other layers that are present, masking may be one that could go away. But I would say that, let's say a school where it is, or a particular class, everybody is vaccinated in that class. And also the level of community transmission is declining. I could imagine that situation being where we remove masks because we have all these other layers. Or if we have rapid testing, imagine if every child and teacher were tested every morning and also they're vaccinated. You can imagine that situation, even if there's high levels of community spread, that maybe you can remove masks at that time. But we are nowhere near that yet. And I think what we really need to do is get the vaccines authorized for children as soon yeah. as that's possible and also really ramp up testing because that is a powerful tool that we're just not using across the country as we should be. Yeah, approval of kids will be a huge step uh, when, when it happens. Dr. Lena Wen, thanks so much. Now, I want to go back because people can see here, right? She's talking about vaccines. She's talking about making it available for children. She wants people to make sure that they have that available for their kids. And she's really sounding like she's talking about wanting to mandate vaccines for children. What we're going to do, though, is drop the receipts. Here's the same person just about a year ago on CNN. Let's bring in top public health expert, Dr. Lena Wen. Good to see you, Doc. Good to see you too, Chris. Is the FDA right or can the president say, speed it up, Jack? And he'll say, yes, boss. You know, it, actually, the president and HHS, they do have authority over the FDA. So it could be done. It would be unprecedented, but it's possible. Then we have to think about the consequence of what would happen. What if the FDA says, we're not ready to give emergency use authorization, but the president says, let's do it anyway. Who is going to take this vaccine? You know, I'm in the group that would be eligible to get this under the emergency use authorization as a frontline provider. But I don't know other doctors and nurses who would say, sure, the FDA said no, the president said yes, but I'm going to stick out my arm and get this vaccine. And I'm certainly not going to be recommending the vaccine to my patients unless it's gone through the rigorous process of process of approval for safety and efficacy. Speed should not be the driving factor here and certainly not political expediency. It is so amazing to me that the trust the science community seems to completely change. I guess the science changes depending on who the president in office is, isn't it? The science isn't the same. I thought the science was settled, right? No, the science changes because you are not somebody who only cares about public health and public policy. If you did, you'd be using persuasion, you'd be using discussion, you'd be talking with facts. Instead, you are playing politics. And you see this again and again. We covered Dr. Roy and MSNBC earlier this week. It was the same situation. You go and look at something they said today versus something they said in the past. And depending on who's president, right, you can see whether or not they're spreading 
fear, uncertainty, and doubt, or FUD, or FUD, as they call it in the, uh, in the crypto slash AMC community, apes together strong. Understand, right? Understand. What you are seeing them doing on TV is influencing you, or in this case, influencing their followers, their listeners. This isn't about public health. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying she doesn't want people to be healthy, but I am also saying that the driving factor here is control, it's about power, and it's about politics. And that's something that we need to get around if we're ever going to end this pandemic. Stay tuned, last segment coming up. Red flag laws, they suck. I don't like them. Uh, I'm against red flag laws for a number of reasons, uh, specifically talking about the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, right? There's no due process here. Um, this, you know, talking about legal search and seizure. This, there's a lot of problems involved with this. However, I do also understand the need for the government, the need for public safety to be able to step in at these times, right? So understand, we also have something called the 5150 process. We also have the ability to put someone on a mental health hold, but understand the headline, understand where we're going, understand how this is going to be spread. AmericanMilitaryNews.com. Military courts could order red flag gun confiscation under defense bill. Listen to Joe Biden talking about red flag laws. Listen to the statement he made. During my campaign for president, I wanted to make it easier for states to adopt extreme risk protection order laws. They're also called red flag laws, which everybody in this lawn knows, but many people listening do not know. These laws allow a police or family member to petition a court in their jurisdiction and say, I want you to temporarily remove from the following people any firearm they may possess because they're a danger and a crisis. They're presenting a danger to themselves and to others. And the court makes a ruling. To put this in perspective, more than half of all suicides, for example, involve the use of a firearm. But when a gun's not available, an attempt at suicide, the death rate drops precipitously. States that have red flag laws have seen and seen the reduction in the number of suicides in their states. So a new provision in the 2022 National Defense Authorization Act, that's the Pentagon's budget, was just passed, would allow military courts to issue protective orders that include red flag gun confiscation according to the more than 1300 page bill. In the legislation, those beholden to the UCMJ, the United States Code of Military Justice, so that's if you're in the military, if you're a retiree, you're draw still drawing a pension from the military, right? If you're under UCMJ, this does not apply to US civilians. They could issue a military court protective order by a judge or magistrate, which would make possessing, receiving, or otherwise accessing a firearm illegal. A military court protective order issued on an ex parte basis shall restrain a person from possessing, receiving, or otherwise accessing a firearm, and a military court protective order issued after the person be subject to the order has received notice and opportunity to be heard on the order shall restrain such person from possessing, receiving, or otherwise accessing firearms. So understand, understand that when you give power like this to the government, the government is going to abuse it. That's the situation that we've seen throughout history. That's the situation that we can use to look as a guide going forward. 
There already exist on the books things like mental health hold, protective orders, if you need protection from abuse, a restraining order, it's usually temporary, and that does generally include a gun confiscation for a temporary set of time, right? But if you're in a situation where you don't believe you're going to meet those metrics, then why wouldn't you be using them? What are you doing then? It's going to be abused by people. Like I say, this is what I'm in the military. This is going to be abused by people who are vindictive. It's going to be abused by work centers, by chains of command, by subordinates, by authority. It's completely going to be abused. I'm just telling you that. So if you are someone who believes in the Second Amendment, if you believe in the right to self-defense and the right to keep and bear arms being necessary for a free republic, this situation is something that flies completely in the face of that. This sets up a situation where an unelected court can simply walk over and on, the, on a very thin basis, confiscate guns, confiscate your ability to defend yourself. But understand, that's the position of this administration and that's the position of this Congress. And that's it. That is all the time we have today on Human Events Daily, where you get the bluff the bottom line up front, our motto to you, our promise to you, be good, be brief, be gone. But before we go, and I will ask you to share this with everybody, share it with your normie friends, share it with your family, get it out there, make sure that everybody keeps listening to this. Also gonna say thank you for keeping us in the number one position on Apple Podcasts for Politics. Before we go, today's moment in history, the Battle of Shuriyama. September 24th, 1877, the last stand of the 500 samurai atop Mount Shuriyama in Japan against the Imperial Japanese Army. This was the last stand of the traditional samurai culture and true to the Bushido code, they fought to the last man. Incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.